0: Well, it's Easter Sunday. We've come through Good Friday, and we've recognized the death of Jesus. And we come to Easter Sunday, which is the celebration of the resurrected Jesus that we get to talk about today. And, and, I, and I believe that we just have an advantage over the disciples at this point because we get to look back in time and we get to read the story and, and and we experience it differently. But at that time, the disciples were experiencing this story firsthand and it was hard. It was gut-wrenching. They felt like things were falling apart. And we're going to be picking up in this story with Mary Magdalene. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 18. John chapter 20, verse 11 to 18. While you're looking there, a um, little bit of background. We, we have the death of Jesus, of course, on the cross at this point. And, and then you have uh, Mary, and like, well, both Marys actually, coming to the tomb, and they find that the tomb was empty. So they rush back, and they get the disciples to come. And of course, the disciples come, and they see that the tomb is empty, and, and they leave. And we pick up in a place in the story here where we don't know if Mary leaves with them and then comes back or if she just remains there. But in John 20, verse 11, it says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word, and we're looking into the questions of why are you crying and who are you looking for, that our eyes and hearts and ears would be open to what you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So these are two really important questions that we find in our text today. Uh, the first question, of course, is why you're crying. The second question is uh, who are you looking for? So when you're looking at this idea of why are you crying, we're here, it's Easter morning. Mary Magdalene is still near the entrance of the tomb. and The angel asks, woman, why are you crying? And then a minute later, Jesus appears asking the same question. And she tells them why she's crying. She says, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. That's why she's crying. She cries because his body is gone. She cries because she thinks that even in death, Jesus' enemies wouldn't allow him the dignity of being able to just be resting. In this tomb, and so we believe this to be true in terms of what her where her headspace was at, based on the question that she asks about the possibility of his body having been stolen. Well, there's a lot more to her tears than what it may seem. Like it's, it's like even when she thinks Jesus is dead, Mary still calls him Lord. She asks, or she says, they have taken my Lord away. So even in the belief of him being dead, he is still Lord. And and in this, it's safe to say that Mary feels this sense of aloneness. And maybe she had a bunch of thoughts that went along with her. We know that Mark and Luke both tell uh, of Jesus driving demons out of Mary Magdalene. And it's recorded in Mark 16, verse 9, and Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And so it's this idea potentially, if Jesus freed me from these demons, he is now gone. What am I faced with in life? Am I defenseless in the world? Will they come back? And so she believes that Jesus' body had been stolen. And we got to remember that Mary Magdalene witnessed most of the events that took place for Jesus. She was aware of this mock trial. She knew that Pontius Pilate pronounced the death sentence, and she saw Jesus beaten and humiliated in the crowd. I mean, you want to talk about a traumatic experience, certainly, obviously, for Jesus, but also for those who loved him and walked with him and cared for him and, and believed in him. She was the one, one of the women who stood near Jesus during the crucifixion, tried to comfort him. She looked on as his body was laid in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea, And now she believed that the body of her Lord had been taken. Why is she crying? Well, she's crying because there's just so much to bear. It's so heavy and wounded. And watching the crucifixion must have just been absolutely horrific. So you, you have to work through the emotional shock of that kind of an event. And so here she is, at the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look inside. And so it makes sense to me that she would be at the place where her Lord was buried. It makes sense to me that she'd be crying. It makes sense to me that she would be concerned that people stole his body. And even in the midst of all of that, Jesus comes up to her and he says, woman, why are you crying? And yeah, like she's crying because of all of these things that weighed on her mind. That's one way to be looking at the question of why are you crying. But I want to offer you this morning or this time together that there is another way to look at this question. Why are you crying? Can also mean why are you crying? Like there's no reason to be crying. Through her tears, she makes she mistakes Jesus for a gardener, and she asks. If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. He doesn't say, hey, look, it's me over here. He says her name. And I imagine that he probably said her name in this gentle tone, in, in this compassionate tone that she would recognize. Mary, why are you crying? There's no need to cry. You're not alone in the world. You're not defenseless. The demons are gone. They're not coming back. There is no need to cry because Jesus is not dead. Why are you crying? What is there to cry about? Jesus is the victorious, powerful, living Lord, and he is risen indeed. That is amazing. There is no need to cry. And so even when I return to my father, you could imagine him saying, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will always be with you. And so even when Jesus goes, he's sending the Comforter, and the Comforter is going to dwell within us. And and so why are we crying? Because the presence is there. Maybe we're like the disciples. Why are we crying? Maybe we're like them. Maybe we are uh, hiding behind locked doors, fearful of the world around us. Or maybe we are like Mary Magdalene, crying because maybe we feel alone. Maybe it's a struggle with temptation. You know? The uh, the temptation that just keeps coming back and it just feels like you just can't get rid of it. You're powerless against it. Temptation to envy or to think evil thoughts of people. Temptation to despair or to give up on on everything around you, the relationships, your your world, your life. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe your emotions are raw and, and struggling. Or maybe you just feel powerless and alone. I imagine that these incredible dynamics of feelings were present for everyone that was around Jesus. And... The phrase of the day, of that day and of this day, is He is risen indeed. And it's it's what it means. Like, what does it mean for us to have this risen Lord? It means that we're not alone, that He lives, that He knows, that He cares. It does not matter what your temptation is, what the struggle is. You're not alone. Your risen living Lord, Jesus says. I am with you always to the very end of the age, in Matthew 28, verse 20. He also says, I have told you these things so that you may be at peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I am overcome the world, John 16, 33. And so, why are we crying? Like, I really believe it's this language of, let me meet your sorrow. like Jesus interacting with people almost every time. It's let me meet your great need, your need for salvation, but other needs as well. Let me meet your sorrow. Why are you crying? I am present. And I think we need to rest in that for a bit, right? like the celebration, the excitement of Easter, the the hustle and bustle of people with the gatherings and the chasing down where these chocolate Easter eggs might be hiding and all those kinds of wonderful things that would go around this day. But even in going around all of this day, the thing that we celebrate is definitely His resurrection, but it's also the implications of it. There's no longer need to cry. And the second question that, that Jesus asks is who are you looking for? Who do you seek? And as she was speaking to the angel, she turns around. John doesn't say why she turned around. We have no indication as to why she turned around. But when she turned around, she saw this stranger, and and he still doesn't reveal himself to her until he hears her say what we can presume he was wanting to hear. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, She turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize that it was Jesus. I want you to understand this. This is important. The very first words that the resurrected Christ asks, says, the utterances of his mouth, why are you crying? Who do you seek? Think about that for a moment. The very first words that we have recorded of the resurrected Jesus, why are you crying? And who do you seek? Who are you looking for? They're a reminder that, like in this world, we're gonna have a lot of tears. We're gonna have a lot of heartache. We're gonna, but we're also gonna have a lot of people who are seeking for answers. We're looking for someone, something. And after Mary had expressed wanting to take care of the body of Jesus, he spoke to her personally. He actually addresses her in the Aramaic, and he calls her by name, which is this use of of this intimacy within friendship. He calls her Miriam. Jesus addresses her by her native name, her native tongue, meaning that that. He knows her native tongue. He knows her native name. He knows her, and he uses her language to reach her, her name. Jesus calls everyone by name so that we can all call on him by name. You catch that? He calls everyone by name so that we can call on him by name. And Mary's words were marked by this devout, adoration. Uh, she essentially says the same things that, that Thomas said later on when Thomas addresses Jesus as my Lord and my God. And in her heart, there was this recognition. One word from Jesus removed the darkness that was filling her soul and it replaced it with this eternal light, this joy that would ooze out of her and in her heart, there was tremendous rejoicing. And I think another point for us to recognize in this passage is that Jesus removes the sorrow of our soul and replaces it with his great joy. He meets her greatest need and experience with his joy so that her joy can be made complete. And this is what he talks about in John fifteen eleven. In John 15, 11, He's expressing what is going to all take place. And he says, I tell you these things so that you may have my joy and that your joy may be made complete. And what do we have here? Mary is rejoicing because she experiences the risen Lord. And her response, I want to suggest you, is an example of true faith. It's recognition, it is rejoicing, it is submission. Recognition is the response of our minds, it's our intellect. We're we're able to see and and to have that cognitive response to the reality of what is facing us in front of us. Rejoicing is the response of our hearts. Once we have investigated it and we've understood it, we've, we've contemplated it and accepted it, our hearts rejoice, it bursts out from us. It's not that different than when the disciples are walking along the road and Jesus is walking with them and they say, as he's teaching them and talking to them, they say, didn't we feel the burning in our hearts as he spoke to us? And submission is the response of our wills. At the end of the day, the will submitted to Jesus produces a life focused on Jesus. And he came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And that's life in him. And so he didn't just leave it there. He has, Mary, why are you crying? You know, why are you crying? What what is the sorrow? Or or maybe like there's no need for you to be crying because I'm here, I'm present. Or maybe it's a combination of the two. He says, listen, I see your sorrow and I'm going to meet your greatest need. And I am present so that you can have confidence in the fact that that need is going to continually be met. And then he says, who are you searching for? Who are you searching for? And here he stands as the as the one who could provide all the things. Like he is the one who had the words of life, Philip says. Where else would they go? He is Lord. He is King. She's searching for him. And so after the questions are dealt with, we have this message that she is to deliver. Jesus didn't just leave Mary with this experience as something to keep to herself. He When Mary comes to the recognition that he is actually God, she she tries to cling on to him. And and we have this weird passage that I would encourage you to investigate a little bit further on your own. But Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And then he says this, so don't hang on to me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. That's the thing you can do some research on. Let me know what you think. But he says, go instead. So instead of hanging on to me, go instead... To my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I have seen the Lord, and she told him that he had said these things to her. And so instead of remaining just clung on to Jesus, he sends her to proclaim his resurrection to the disciples. See, this is the interesting thing. See, Jesus meets our deep need. He meets that sorrow with joy. He reminds us that there's no longer reason to cry. He helps us to recognize that in all of these things in life that we search for, we find everything we actually, in fact, need in him. And then after all of that, he says, now go and tell others. The next time she saw Peter and John and the other disciples, she had a different message for them. The previous one had been marked with uncertainty, like the body's gone, we don't know what's happening. And now she spoke with great conviction. What a difference that meeting the risen Christ had in her life. And I think there are lessons that we can suggest from this. It tells us not to stop with the messengers, the angels, but to persevere to meet the master. Remember when she comes to the tomb, she sees these angels and they're like, woman, who?" Why are you crying? And she could have just, from that point, just booked it out of there. That would have been the end of that story. The idea here is that not to just stop at the messengers, but to seek the one who sent them. Seek the master. It tells us not to stop at the sign, but to seek the Savior. Not to just stop at the empty tomb. But to seek him out. And when we find him, and we experience him, I suggest you that we can't help but proclaim that good news from him. And that is the mandate. That is what we get called into. When we find him, he meets us. When he meets us, our sorrow turns to joy. We have everything we need because we found the one we're looking for. And the one that we look for sends us out take the good news of his resurrection to the world around us. Yeah, it's a reason to celebrate. It's awesome. We get to be his ambassadors here, the one who asks those personal questions. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Now go tell everyone else. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for our time and I thank you that you do ask. Like your first question after the resurrection was, why are you crying? This compassion that comes from you. This question that that asks us to release our deepest need to you so that you can fulfill it but then also to remind us that there isn't a reason to cry because you're risen, you're alive, you are not dead. The tomb is empty, you are risen. And to remind us to consistently seek you, not to just have the experience with the angels and let it part there, but Lord, to look past the messengers, past the angels, to get to you, not to just see the sign of the empty tomb, but to find you. And after doing so, invite others to do the same. You are amazing. We love you. And we thank you for this precious gift of salvation that we have in you. Amen.